With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Renegade Blitz podcast, a podcast for Steelers fans by Steelers fans. Follow us on Twitter at Renegade Blitz. Read articles on RenegadeBlitz.com and like us on Facebook. And welcome back to the Renegade Blitz podcast. I'm Ty Polk, joined by Chris Ward, Guthrie Rasmussen, and we're joined by another writer from the RenegadeBlitz.com. Please welcome Max Rosenfeld. He writes the weekly key to victory post for the website, and those are filled with analysis from the All-22 camera that really focuses on how the Steelers can improve and exploit weaknesses from their opponents. Max, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Glad to be here. So how did you get involved with the Renegade Blitz? Yeah, so uh, I've been going back and watching the film on Steelers games for about three years now. Uh, obviously, lifelong Steelers fan. The first year that I really followed the team uh, was when I was in first or second grade. It was Big Ben's rookie year, so a uh, lifelong fan. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to go back to start watching the film to really understand tendencies and how individual players were going, um, study schemes, and take a closer look at opponents before games. So uh, that's been a lot of fun. And then I saw Chris's tweet uh, looking for a writer to kind of help out those in the game previews and just slid into those DMs, and here I am. How has it been checking out the Steelers' progress on the All-22? It's been mostly great, but the last two weeks, it's kind of been an adventure. Definitely a lot more fun in the beginning of the season. I'll say that. Uh, uh, some stuff that I've noticed in the last couple of weeks that has been problematic. It's been a roller coaster for sure. So uh, looking forward to getting into that with you guys. Absolutely. And guys, to start our recap, you never want to see a team tail spinning at any point in the season, especially late in the season in the case of our Pittsburgh Steelers. And that's what they're going through right now. They've clinched their first playoff berth since 2017 before they even took the field with a Dolphins loss to the Chiefs. But thanks to a dismal performance offensively, that squandered any hope that the defense would drag them to victory, losing to the Buffalo Bills 26-15. to The loss dropped them out of a crucial bye week in the playoffs and an even more crucial chance for home field throughout the AFC side of the playoffs, with those Chiefs unlikely to give that top spot back anytime soon. The team is now 11-2 with the now surging Cleveland Browns in the thick of the AFC North title picture. Let's not sugarcoat this anymore. Is this rock bottom for the Steelers, or could they dig even lower? Yeah, so uh, with the game coming up uh, on Monday against the Bengals, I would say that this isn't exactly rock bottom because it should be a get-right game on Monday. But obviously the Steelers are in a tough spot now. Uh, We're recording this on Monday night. The Browns are playing the Ravens right now. Um, And the Steelers could be in a situation where, much like they're only one game up on the Bills, they're going to be maybe one game up on the Browns. Um, that can make that week 17 matchup uh, potentially for the AFC North. So um, obviously now now we're in a spot where this is uh, getting really interesting and it's getting tricky. But 
I wouldn't consider this rock bottom yet uh, just because the Steelers should be able to bounce back next week. Um, and if they get back on track, still put themselves in that position to win the AFC North. And as long as that happens, uh, that's really all we can ask for. I don't, I don't think this is rock bottom yet, but it's getting there. But you know, like he said, it's this, this bounce, this game on Monday, it's gotta be the game where we turn it around, you know, build some momentum going into Indianapolis. This is, we need some good vibes in Pittsburgh. We haven't really been having them these last two weeks. You know, we're, we're 11 and two, but it, you know, it feels like Ray Nate again. Um, you know, it's just, you know, as if you're a Steelers fan, you have to remember we're 11 and two, we're still in a good position to turn this around, but um, you know, this wasn't the time to really, you know, slow down. I don't think they've hit rock bottom just yet, but I mean, like they're, they're really close. Like, I mean, the offense just has no identity. They can't run the ball. The receivers are having trouble catching the balls, you know, especially, uh, Deontay Johnson and Eric Ebron. Um, and then I'm worried about Ben's deep ball. I don't, I don't know. I have to watch more of it, but I mean, it looks like he's not stepping into his throw. I saw some people mention on Twitter. Uh, I know he's been dealing with that knee injury that they mentioned, uh, but you know, his deep ball has kind of been off all year. I mean, the only one that really stands out is uh, the 84 yard touchdown pass he had to Claypool in week two against the Broncos. You know, he's had a bunch of like, you know, pass interference uh, penalties drawn by uh, Claypool, but just, Overall, it's not the same band that we were accustomed to seeing. Max, have you seen anything different in watching the All-22 with Ben Roethlisberger? Yeah, so for me, when I look at Ben uh, compared to in years past, it's more inconsistent. From 20 yards in, I still feel like Ben is elite. Um, he can still pick you apart, uh, sort of like a Drew Brees, where he can recognize what's going on pre-snap, uh, make that decision, look off safeties, and kind of mold things to the play that uh, he to the pass that he wants to throw. Um, it's kind of when he needs to go deep, like Chris is saying, um, and make those intermediate to deep throws that he starts to struggle. Um, he has that in him. He he can make that throw every once in a while. But for me, it just seems like it's a lot uh, less consistent. Um, and when you can't run the ball, you're not doing play actions like that, and the defense is able to come up and press uh, and anticipate those yards from 20 to 15 yards and in, that's really what makes it tough for Ben. So for me, um, if he can be able to find that consistency uh, on that deep ball, that would change everything. I don't know if we're going to get that this year. Could just keep coming in spurts, uh, like I said. But, yeah, I still feel like Ben, 20 to 15 yards and in is still uh, as good as it gets. Just kind of reaffirming what he said. It's just when it's all put on Ben by himself, it's going to be very challenging because, you know, defenses can just sell out and, you know, you know, once they stifle the run game, all they got to worry about is those short passes. And that's kind of what Buffalo and, you know, the Washington football team did quite well. Um, they just, you know, they, they figured it out. And, um, you know, just Ben's going to need some help from the, everybody. And Ben's need is going to need to help himself a little bit. Um, the offensive line needs to play a little better. And, you know, the run game just needs to be more efficient. And we haven't really been seeing that. Yeah, just kind of looking at it, uh, another game under 20 points. And I feel like um, that this all really kind of started uh, this vibe, this negative vibe of the Steelers in that Baltimore game uh, after it got postponed. And something that I noticed there too was um, it, it's tough for the Steelers to generate this quick strike offense when other teams have really good corners. So you look at the Ravens, they have obviously Humphrey and Peters. Uh, the Bills had Trey White last night. Like these are really good corners. So when they come up and play physical, it just makes it that much harder for the Steelers to really get any traction going on offense. I agree with what Max said. I'm just looking at a little bit of, uh, you know, what I've seen on Twitter from people posting, like, Claypool on one of the – like it was the first third down play, and he got jammed by uh, Tredavious White at the line of scrimmage, and he just fell down. Like, Ben was looking toward him to pass the ball in, on his first read and then went to DeAndre Johnson, who was his third read, and, you know, the pass fell incomplete. But uh, 
yeah, uh, Trey White is, is an amazing corner for the Bills. And it really, their secondary played a great game yesterday. You know, uh, Johnson had that pick six uh, for a touchdown. And then, uh, you know, Poyer is a great safety. And uh, they just played a great game against uh, the Steelers. Well, let's start with the recap for the offensive output for the Steelers. And it was yet another slow start for the Steelers. But fortunately, the defense was up to the task. We'll talk more about that later on the defensive side. But, guys, I think it's time to have a discussion about the Steelers' execution at the end of first-half situations. Ben Roethlisberger's pick six at the end of the first half was really the catalyst towards the Buffalo win. It was the second interception by the team in the final two minutes. We've, we've been talking about these fast starts, but when you think back to the Tennessee game, it was Ben getting a little overconfident in his arm after a great start against the Titans. Are you guys nervous about this situation? Because especially the fact that this team cannot capitalize on situations that their defense really creates a primo field position for them, things like that. I think everybody's very concerned. Um, it's just, I, I don't see really an identity with this offense at all right now. Um, you know, for the first half of this, you know, first half of the season, a little bit more, it was just kind of like, you know, we had a little bit of a run game and Ben Roethlisberger was able to, you know, pick teams apart. But, you know, something's changed, um, you know, after that, you know, you know, that was it Baltimore who said they figured out the blueprint or the Washington football teams that they figured out the blueprint. It's just kind of it's really been it's been kind of like teams have found the blueprint for this offense. Max, what about you? Yeah, to me, um, pretty much, uh, obviously, uh, it's troublesome. Uh, to me, it pretty much all just comes back to being able to run the football in situations. Um, all those issues really stem from that. Uh, like you look at Deontay Johnson's drop on the first play of the game, that's basically a run play for the Steelers, where they run that screen and just try to get a quick uh, seven-yard burst. Like That's pretty much a run play. Um, so when you're not executing on that and you keep putting yourselves in second and tens, third and eights, those sort of situations, this team just isn't really meant to do that. So if they're not going to be able to run the ball effectively in early down situations, short yarded situations, um, this just might be the Steelers offense, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree with everything Max said. I just, I don't think this offense line is that good. But I mean, they're good at pass blocking, I guess. You know, Ben's getting the ball out real quick, though. But they, they just can't run block. And now they have injuries. You know, Matt Filer's on IR. and He's going to miss the rest of the regular season. Uh, with the pectoral injury, same thing with Kevin Dotson. They don't know what his status is, but he injured a pectoral yesterday also. But yeah, I, they just can't run the ball, and that creates a lot of issues for Ben, you know, throwing the ball too much. Uh, it's a dink and dunk offense that uh, defenses have figured out really the last three games. And uh, I, I just tweeted, uh, Booger, Booger McFarland said the offensive line is soft, and that, that's why they can't run the ball. So there's Booger's take on it. <laughs> Let's first talk about the running game. There was one play in which Buffalo's defensive line really just blasted back the offensive line of the Steelers, and it forced James Conner to have to spin and really fight his way back just to get to the line of scrimmage for no game. Is there any hope for this running attack for the Steelers, which is just, again, awful, only 41 yards on the ground? I think that a lot of Steelers fans, they like to point the finger at, at James Conner uh, and the running backs for these running situations. But I think Chris is right here, and we're kind of hitting the nail on the head. A lot of it is the offensive line. 
Um, and I was watching that segment uh, that Chris is talking about where Booger McFarlane was basically his argument was the Steelers at the point of attack aren't punching people in the mouth. They're sitting back in two point stances, kind of letting people come to them. They're not getting aggressive and, and going forward to hit people in the mouth on these run plays. And that really is kind of the crux of the issue for me. So um, I, I haven't gotten the chance to go back and look at the film for yesterday's game yet for the Bills game. But I'm really curious, especially to see uh, how David DeCastro performed. Um, it seems like he's been hurt all season long, obviously. And that's really, really been a killer for the Steelers in the run game. Um, being able to use him as a puller, which they haven't re- really been able to do effectively much this season, is something that they love to do. And uh, yeah, it's just it just really hurts. And so when you have those injuries in the offensive line, this is just kind of something that we're dealing with right now. Yeah, there's just not much hope right now with this running game. And it's I don't know if they'll be able to turn it around, really. I don't. I don't think we'll be able to turn it around the way we need it. I think this this could be, you know, where we falter in the playoffs. This might be where we fall short. It's just not having this running game, and the men's going to end up having to throw the ball, you know, 50 times a game or 40 times a game, which that's just not his how, who he is as a thrower. You know, he's he needs that running back who can, you know, get over 100 yards a game. And when, uh, when, our, when our running backs do get, you know, over 100 yards a game and we control the clock, um, you know, we keep our defense off the field, keep them rested, I, I think we play much better. I completely agree with Guthrie and uh, just kind of going off of that too. It's not, it's also the way that the Steelers run their offense too, right? So like the Chiefs are a passing offense. They like to throw it all around the yard, but the Chiefs can go and get you a quick strike. They can go score in four or five plays. The Steelers need to put together 12 great plays consecutively to be able to go down the field and score. And when that's kind of what you're dealing with, I think that's sort of where you have the issues where Ben throws the pick six, all of a sudden you drop a ball, it's third and eight. Now what do you do? Um, so when you don't have that big playability um, and you can't run the ball, it's really just a recipe for disaster. I mean, I think some of it's on the running backs, but I think it's more it's on the offensive line. I know I said in the last podcast that I think they need to draft another running back. You know, they drafted a running back in four straight years. But, yeah, I don't think Colbert's done a good job in getting running backs. Connor's a good back, but he's, he's not close to being elite, obviously. Um, that, that's one area they have to address. And uh, I, I was wondering, Max, like on the offensive line, when you when you watch them run block, like, like you mentioned the two point stance. What have you noticed? Like I've, what, from what I've seen is that Bill Wade was like a good pass block, but like I never considered him as a very good run blocker. And what, what is your take on Matt Foddy? I know he got injured, but as him as a guard, do you think he's better suited for right tackle? And also uh, your evaluation on Chooks too at right tackle. Yeah. So I, I, I'm a little low on Chooks. I'm not going to lie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not too high on him. And I, and I do agree with you. I think Filer is better as a right tackle. Ideally for me, I love the way that Kevin Dotson was playing earlier in the year. Um, he's someone that was playing with great physicality, a really high motor, um, playing through the whistle. And, and he's someone that you could tell from the day that he walked into the building, he was just thrilled to be a Steeler. Um, so that's something that I loved. And he was just playing with great energy. Um, Villanueva has still been really good in pass pro. And I don't even feel like he's been the problem in, in run block situations. I think that a lot of the issues in those running situations uh, – come from DeCastro not being quite what he's been in years past. I'm not going to go ahead and say David DeCastro is washed. You won't catch me saying that. I'm, I just think that he's been hurt all year. I think he'll be fine next year, but not his best season. Uh, Pouncey, obviously, just getting back in the lineup. I, I'm curious to go back and watch how he performed last night and really study that. But for me, yeah, it, it's kind of those are the issues. And also at the edges, like Eric Ebron couldn't block me or you if we were playing DN, like if I'm being honest. Uh, so when you have those issues going on, like 
there's just holes left and right. And all it really takes in the NFL, obviously, one one uh, guy breaks free to make that tackle, and all of a sudden the, the running play is dead. So I uh, gotta gotta clean that up. Yeah, I've been getting Colts fans and uh, you know Lions fans in my you know in, in my messages when I talk about Ebron, you know when I tweet about him, you know saying you know like we could have warned you, and it's you know we're starting to see that. It's like Ebron, he said when he catches the ball, he's an, he's an excellent receiving threat but you know he, he isn't a blocker and that's what I tell people it's like you know that's not what we brought him in for really um but we, we just don't have really anybody else who can be in that position right now in the roster getting back to the offensive line so now with Dotson potentially being out now who else is at guard for the Steelers if it's gonna be like this where it's not only filers out Dotson's out who's left well they had Hassenhauer, who's who played center the last two games. They had him at left guard, so they, they really don't have much. They're like down to their like only five linemen uh, last night in that game. And the choice to elect to receive at the beginning of the game, Mike Tomlin really does this. I've noticed over his history when the offense is struggling to get a rhythm together, specifically early, and of course in this game, it did not work. Is there anything this team can do? to get out of these slow start funks, is it going into no huddle tempo offense early? Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure. Um, I don't, I don't know what this offense can do. It's just, and I feel like the fans will kill them no matter what, you know, it's like if you if they run the ball and they don't get any yards, they're going to be like, Oh, you got to start off passing or if they pass and then Deontay has a drop and you you're left with a second and 10. It's like, I just don't feel like there's really any winning situation. They just have to, you know, be more creative. You know, from what I've seen, and I could be completely off base with this, you know, in the beginning of the season, um, you know, they were doing a lot of pre-stat movement, and they've kind of slowed down that these last couple of games. You know, and I saw at the beginning of this game, you know, I saw early on they did try to, you know, do a little bit of uh, stuff to keep get the Bills off guard, but it clearly didn't work, um, you know, from that first play, even with Deontay. Just, it was just like, you know, you hit your head back, like, oh, it's going to be that type of game. Max, you had your hand up, so I know you have a lot to talk about this. <laughs> Yeah, like uh, like Guthrie just said, you want to see more of that creativity. Uh, he's right. The second play of the game, that was that jet jet motion to Claypool. I think he got like five or six yards. It was actually kind of successful. Um, so I don't know where that stuff goes. <laughs> past few weeks, they'll run that motion and then just hand it off to the running back every single time. And then finally, I, they want to, I guess, put on tape. They, they gave it to Claypool for the first time in weeks. Uh, and he had a positive play. But, yeah, I, I – I think that I've been a guy who the last month or so I've been like, all right, got to commit to the run game, got to commit to the run game, commit to the run game. And now I'm just starting to come to the realization that it, you can commit to, you can't commit to the run game if you can't run at all. So I think the best way probably is to, like you said, just to kind of spread it out, have been pick people apart and use your best asset, which is your young receivers um, now, obviously, if they're not catching the ball, <laughs> that that presents a different issue. Uh, but I think that's the way that this offense is most effective when Ben can spread everyone out, assess his options, and pick apart zones. So let's talk about Roethlisberger's game. And for the first time in two weeks, he hasn't thrown over 50 passes. He only threw 37 this game. But if you want to know why it was 37, especially with this pass-happy offense, the Steelers' time of possession ranks. Buffalo had 35 minutes. The Steelers had 25 and change. So, yeah, there's a reason why the pass numbers were low. Fortunately for Ben and a lot of Steeler fans' heart rates, 
this week. So he went 21 for 37, 187 yards, averaging 5.1 yards of completion, two touchdowns and two interceptions, and his first sack since before Baltimore, maybe back to Jacksonville. I can't remember off the top of my head. So, guys, there's a lot to undress from Ben Roethlisberger's game, so I want to get your thoughts. We'll start with Chris. Yeah, I was just, you know, I mentioned earlier about uh, the pick six that he threw. Like, he was staring down Juju the entire play, play and uh, the, the cornerback for the Bills, Johnson, you know, made a great break on the ball and, you know, returned it for 51 yards for a score. And then, uh, you know, they're still in that game when they're, they're only down 11 points in the fourth quarter, you know. And uh, if he would have had that ball out further for Washington, you know, who knows what could have happened. They, they could have got a touchdown on that drive and, you know, maybe the defense gets a three and out and they're, they're only down by four. But uh, he completely underthrew Washington, and uh, uh, it was an easy pick for Wallace there for Buffalo. Was, that, that's why I'm concerned about his deep ball. That that throw right there was really concerning. And when you look at the throw, his, his feet, like, they didn't, it didn't look like he completely stepped into his throw. I'm not taking too much worry away from the way that Ben played. Um, when you are that one-dimensional uh, with your offensive scheme, um, it just leaves you susceptible to that sort of thing. You can tell that the Bills – uh, the entire defense was coming up and anticipating those short throws. The corner pretty much read his eyes exactly, uh, like Chris just said. And it was just an easy pick six. And, and when you're running uh, a predictable offense like that, that's pretty much just what you're going to get. I think that a lot of Steelers fans get really defensive of Ben. Uh, and obviously, I love Ben. But on one hand, uh, Steelers fans get defensive when people are like, all right, Roethlisberger is holding this team back. They're, he's the reason that they're not going to beat Kansas City, such and such. So yeah, we 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 went back to last season. We, we we know how that goes when Ben isn't around. But at the same time, Ben's great. He's the reason. He's pretty much the main reason, in my opinion, that the Steelers are eleven and two. But at the same time, there are limitations there, like we discussed earlier in the pod. Um, he, he's obviously not that accurate anymore on those deep balls. Um, he wants to get rid of it quickly. We know that he's not mobile anymore. So all those are limiting factors. So when you have all those factors going in, it makes it predictable and easy for a defense to kind of jump on those routes. Um, so uh, while Ben, uh, I'm not worried about Ben, it, it's just, it's going to happen because he is a limited quarterback. I don't know if he's just not, if he's hurt right now or something. It's like, you know, it's obviously he's a little, you know, timid in the pocket. Like he almost like he's afraid to get hit. You know, me and Chris were talking about that earlier. Um, you know, off the show, it's just kind of like, is, is he afraid to get hit? Uh, what, what exactly is it? Um, but you know, it's kind of like what you guys were saying earlier. It's just, um, we, we need some, we need to add more dimension to this offense. And, uh, you know, I want him to get some of those medium throws out there, you know, throw more than five yards down the field, basically, you know, you know, get some of the guys in the slot moving around a little bit, um, you know, hit them in the middle of the field. We just haven't really been seeing much of that. And you know, you get those short throws and, you know, while those are great and why they usually can get eight yards out of it, but still it's just not getting us where we need to be. And that's scoring touchdowns and, um, be, you know, getting in good positions, you know, on, you know, on possession downs, like getting a manageable, getting them, getting into manageable third downs. I, I'm interested to know what, what Max thinks about how they're using Juju because like, if you look at like his past years, like they were throwing the ball to him, you know, a lot deeper. Like I, I, I always uh, go back to the, the two sideline passes he had against the Jaguars in 2018 when he beat uh, Ramsey and Boye uh, on, you know, back-to-back drives for big completions. And the Steelers ended up winning that game, coming back 20 to 16. But, but this year it's like all short throws. Like, do you think Randy's uh, misusing him? 
I think Randy is misusing a lot of people. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I think Juju's been great. Uh, it's not his fault necessarily, but yeah, I can totally see what you're saying. I think that they're so reliant on him being Ben's safety blanket that a lot of the times it's hard to force him on those routes that take longer to develop because Ben does want to find him when he needs to go hot and just dump it off. Um, and especially on third downs when he goes quick, you've seen that. So I think that's more of a function of what it is um, as well as they kind of not kind of, they really love to use uh Claypool on those go routes. Obviously he's great at drawing those DPIs. Um, so I think it's more of a function of just being so reliant on Juju because he's the only guy pretty much besides James Washington that, you know, is going to catch the football. Deontay Johnson had a very interesting night. He had two drops, including on the first play of the game, which got him benched until the second half. He didn't drop a pass from there on out. I want to get the thoughts of the two social media page runners from the Renegade Blitz. I saw some fans wanting Deontay cut right then and there. What are your thoughts on the fans' reactions on Twitter and Facebook and Guthrie, I don't get a chance to look at the Renegade Blitz's Facebook, so I'm interested to see how people were able to express their anger in as many characters as they want. And there were definitely some long ones. Uh, you know, you get some of the regulars on Facebook, and you know, we appreciate all of you. Um, but you know, they were okay with it. Um, they're like, "Yeah, this needs to happen." Uh, trying to think, see what I actually, you know, exactly said. Well, Chris, we'll get you first while Guthrie pulls yeah. that up. On Twitter, man, I wouldn't go as far as saying, like, cutting Johnson. I mean, he's a great receiver. Like, he's just having issues with, with drops. What are they called? The yips or something when you just, like, like it's something mental or something. I thought they were going to clean I was wrong. I thought they were going to clean it up this week and bounce back, especially after they had, what, like, seven drops against Washington. And then, you know, the first offensive play of the game, he throws a quick screen to uh, Johnson. He drops the ball. It's like – it's just mind-boggling, really, uh, the issues that he's having. And, and Ebron's no better, really. He had a drop also. Uh, would have been a first down there in the second quarter on third and three, and uh, or third and seven. And then uh, he can't block either, too. So it just, it just I don't know. It, it's a mess. I will say this before I – it was better than the last two weeks. It, it still wasn't good, but it was better in the last two weeks, which considering that seven drops is kind of like an all-timer is a small improvement. More would be if there's no drops in the game, but I digress. We'll start with Max. Yeah, so I'm a Deontay Johnson fantasy owner in two leagues. <laughs> it's round one of the playoffs, and even I'm like, I'm bench this guy right now. <laughs> so, yeah, so I actually I pulled it off somehow. <laughs> but uh, what do you call it? Yeah, so like if, even if I'm saying that, like he, he had to be benched, especially with the way that Tomlin was talking during the week where he came out early with that quote where he was like, you either catch the ball or we'll replace you with someone who will. Like, at that point, you pretty much have to. Like Chris said, like Deontay is a really good receiver. He's their best receiver at getting open, like point blank. So like you need him on the field. Collinsworth was even talking about it during the podcast. But like if you're if you're not gonna catch the ball, then you're no good. Uh just back to the Facebook post, I pulled it up. This was by far my most interacted with post the entire night. 103 comments, and a lot of them were some wisecracks, you know, saying, is the Pope Catholic? And much more expletives, you know, expletives in there. You know, just a lot of swear words and more of them. And uh, a lot of people posting pictures of Butterfinger bars. And yeah, and people are saying, can we also bench Randy? So that's this tells you um, it was a pretty unanimous decision. Uh, one of my favorite 
basically memes out of the entire situation was done in the group chat. Dwayne the Drop Johnson. Yeah. Amazing. Absolutely, Absolutely amazing. Shout out to Zach Napolitano, our fearless yeah. leader, for sharing that meme with us. Uh, it's It's messed up, but J. Cole said it best. The funniest jokes have a little bit of truth in them. Let's talk about another guy who made some interesting headlines on both the RenegadeBlitz.com and, of course, for his exploits in drop stocks. Eric Ebron. He was also limited a little bit in use. Vance McDonald had some brief stints as tight end one for the Steelers, but ultimately Ebron was the only producer there. Vance McDonald had no receptions on two targets. Ebron got most of his heat on social media for congratulating Bills quarterback Josh Allen after the game. And it's safe to say that the honeymoon is over in Pittsburgh for Eric Ebron. It was noted that one thing that I noticed that just going through, like, you know, Twitter and all that stuff, they were saying that a lot of Eric Ebron's drop issues were with the ball going low on him. A guy like Ebron, who's known for jump balls, athletic catches, he's done so many tough catches as a stealer compared to these, like, what people would believe is routine. Do you agree with my entire diatribe that basically Eric Ebron should never get the ball low? Max, you're laughing, so we'll start with you. I agree with you. Um, he's obviously had problems in those spots, and when he's been a guy also he has been very vocal, obviously, on social media tweeting and all that stuff after all the wins and when you're going to put yourself on social media all the time like when you lose it's just sort of the heat that you're going to get like I had my one buddy text me uh earlier today he's a big Jets fan he was like hey I think I hate Juju <laughs> and I was like yeah I, mean, I, <laughs> I get it I guess like I'm not going to argue too much if you're gonna if we're gonna go out there and do all the TikToking and the dancing and talking on social media like when you lose you have to be ready for that so I can see why a lot of Steelers fans didn't enjoy the the, uh, the back and forth he had with Josh Allen on Twitter. Uh, I didn't like it too much, uh, but yeah, but like I like I just said, if you're gonna be that character, then you have to be ready to ready to take the heat. Eric Ebron should go bury that bottle of 1942 because his hands haven't been the same since that. Really, the entire team has been cursed since he opened that bottle of 1942 on Thanksgiving Friday, I believe. Something like that, I can't remember. So, Eric Ebron, if you're listening out there, go take that bottle and throw it in the trash and never drink that alcohol again. But I digress. Anyone else want to go into it? Chris, your hands up. Uh, yeah, um, you know, it's definitely mentioned, like, uh, Lions and Colts fans have warned us about Ebron for his, you know, kind of talking a lot and, you know, his drop issues, which have really been apparent the last couple of weeks but uh yeah that, that video actually was posted by a, a, like i assume a lions fan because it's like a michigan page and he what, uh, what he tweeted is like at least pretend that that you care that you lost god you're an idiot Ebron, about uh about being um uh shaking uh alan's hand after the game and saying nice game and like a really like like happy tone which is it was just not like you have to watch it to see it it was a really awkward scene uh i don't know it just it didn't sit well with a lot of Steelers fans you know, it's just mainly – it's not only that that bothers me as much. It's just kind of all the talk on social media. It's just like – it's the same thing, what you know, that Max said about Juju. It's like you just don't don't give any teams any ammunition. The game's already hard enough. And, um, you know, it's just – you know, what, what are you thinking, you know, most of the time? It's just kind of like you knew he was on an interview, you know, just like it's just, it's just not worth it. You know, it's just kind of just making – you know, making yourself kind of look bad, you know, ish, but – 
it wasn't it wasn't even a nice game. It was like nice win. Which like you probably use the poor choice choice of words, you know. Overall, you know, it's, it's not a big deal really in the grand scheme of things, but just it was a really weird scene because he was like more excited than Josh Allen, and like I don't even know if Josh Allen knows him, and like you know Allen was doing an interview at the time, so uh, it was just a weird weird scene. I'm just going to say this, and this is probably like stirring a little crap, but if you remember from our conversation with Chris Carter, Eric Ebron was getting a little friendly with the Pittsburgh Steelers during the Juju bike game. So I'm just saying, Eric Ebron, future Buffalo Bill. Well, the way he's been dropping passes, I don't, I don't know if any NFL team would want <laughs> And And, you know, he's had, he's had these issues before. Like, I mean, Lions and Colts fans still talk on Twitter all the time about Ebron. Because he just rubbed them, uh, you know, such the wrong way. They really are, Chris. They're they're in Steelers mentions every weekend. <laughs> I notice it. <laughs> like we warned you, we warned you about Ebron. I don't get it. A guy scored twelve touchdowns with the Colts. It's like I thought guy was just balling with Andrew Luck, but then again, they did mention that they felt that he kind of like punched his ticket out of Indianapolis a little early whenever Andrew Luck decided to retire abruptly. So. I'll give him that. But for the most part, I will say this, and it's really sad in the history of Pittsburgh Steelers, at least in my lifetime, he's the best receiving tight end the Steelers have ever had. And that's really sad when you think of that. What are your thoughts on the rest of the receivers day? Of course, Juju, he was the big subject with TikTok, but for the most part, he backed it up. Uh, Six receptions on seven targets 55 yards and a touchdown and James Washington also showed that he should get the ball more and that drop percentage stat that I told you about last week is full of crap three receptions on six targets for 29 yards and a touchdown as well who should get the ball more in the Steelers receiving room I'll just go with James Washington um this you know he's been he's been rock solid you know this entire year when his number's been called um I think you know just keep giving them some shots, you know. I, I know don't go completely deep because obviously that's kind of a problem with us, but, you know, give them some more intermediate passes. Let them, you know, work the middle of the field a little bit, although it's not his bread and butter. But just, you know, like that pass, you know, that touchdown pass um, in the middle of the end zone, that was such a beautiful catch, beautiful, beautiful throw. That That's just, you know, after I saw that game, I was filled with hope, and that's why, you know, it hurt even more to lose. It's just kind of like, wow, that's, that's what I wanted to see out of our offense, you know, just that type of play, capitalizing off our defense forcing a turnover. Um, you know, I don't know. I just, I, in short, just, I want to see more Washington. Yeah. Is, is it possible for us to somehow give uh, Deontay Johnson, James Washington's hands? <laughs> is that something we could do? Cause that would be really helpful for this offense. We've been doing knee transplants on Twitter. So <laughs> hand transplants are not that far off. Steelers got to look into that one. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, to me, I agree with Guthrie. I think James Washington's a guy who has to have his number called more often. He's reliable, uh, like Juju. He's got short hands. He's tough. Uh, he's physical when he finishes uh, on, on runs after the catch. Um, obviously, he doesn't have that ability necessarily to separate um, like a Deontay or even like sometimes a Claypool. But when uh, you're pretty much number one issue aside from the run game uh, is being able to catch the football and you have a guy in there that you know is going to catch the football that works really hard. He's a strong runner. I'd love to see him get more touches. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys said. Like Washington's been really coming on here the last uh, couple of weeks, you know, really the whole season, like he, he gets limited snaps, but you know, every time he's on the field, he produces and, you know, he had that 19-yard touchdown against Buffalo. And, you know, I'd I like to see him get more snaps. It, it's just so hard because they have so many good receivers. But, 
you know, if Johnson's not going to catch the ball, uh, you know, put Washington over him. I'll just leave you with this one last final rant on offense for the Steelers. And the one thing that I've noticed across our group chats, Twitter, Facebook, just about any social media out there is the misdirection of grievances from Steelers fans on the offense. And I want to make it clear. I do think, and there will be changes at offensive coordinator in Randy, in Randy Fickner. Chris, you put out a Twitter question about him and many people were calling for the return of Todd Haley. Steelers fans haven't sought out at any of the position coaches at all. And that means I'm looking at Eddie Faulkner, the running backs coach, and the offensive line coach, Sean, Sean Serrett, and maybe the assistant offensive line coach as well. It's been a systematic failure that has really impacted the entire play calling with it. As, as sad as it has to say, it's like Fickner doesn't really have much else to go to because even the positions can't necessarily do well. It's one thing if it was maybe arguably the wrong plays being called, but when you have someone of the personnel out there to do something and there's no plan, like, what's up? So I'm just going to remind Steelers fans that there's a ton of things offensively that has to change for the Steelers. It's not just personnel. It's not just the offensive coordinator. It's also the position coaches because if the same coaches are there and we all know how the offensive line has basically fell off a cliff since Mike Munchak has decided to take his talents to Denver. I don't know what's going on there, but Faulkner was supposed to be a guy that went to North Carolina State and helped out Jalen Samuels, and Jalen Samuels, for the most part, has been MIA outside of, like, you know, maybe a a few sparkle plays out there. I wouldn't call them splashes, but sparkles that make you think, okay, does he have something else aside from, you know, attempting two screen passes and catching only one? Uh, There's a lot of things that the Steelers have to do this offseason that is not just personnel. Personnel is not going to fix this. The offensive coordinator being fired is not going to fix this. It's wholesale changes, and it's going to start with the position coaches. That's a good point. I I haven't really thought about the position coaches. I know they like uh, Sarah as a, you know, they they had high things to say about him when they hired him. You know, he was basically, you know, coming off of, like he was, uh, uh, well, Munchak was a mentor to him, and I don't, I don't know. It's really hard to say if it's his fault or not, but uh, you know, the running backs and, and uh, offensive line haven't, haven't been producing. Guthrie, yeah, just uh, quickly, you know, it's 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 hard for this organization to make that kind of change with Randy because it's just like Ben Roethlisberger. It's like you know he's your guy, and he's been you know he basically was calling for Randy to be the offensive coordinator after he, like Haley was fired. You know, it's just. Um, you know, this team's like a kind of a family atmosphere. We have coaches who've been with us since, you know, probably as long as I've been alive, uh, you know, like Keith Butler and, uh, you know, Randy Fickner, um, you know, Mike Tomlin, you know, even though, you know, he's a little later than them, but, you know, the, you know, we have like these long tenured coaches and it's just, it's hard to see, see us make the, you know, the, a change. That's just so, so much of a change, you know, I don't know. I, this is hard for me, the Steelers, you know, seeing the Steelers be able to do, like for me to see the Steelers being able to make those hard changes. And I, I think they need to. Um, I think they need to get, you know, find a, a solution to Randy Fickner yesterday. Um, 
But, you know, of course, they won't do it till the end of the end of the season and when it's too late. When you talk about a family atmosphere, the tight ends coach, Daniels, he's been there since 2004. That's how long. Yeah. So, yes, it is a family organization. And I also think that I wouldn't mind seeing him go just to get a new idea for the tight ends out there, because, look, Eric Ebron can catch the ball, but it's at certain points you have to be able to one produce better talent tight end wise, because when you really think about it outside of Heath Miller, the Steelers have been direct of tight end talent for the better part of the new millennium. The last good tight end that you can actually think of something is Eric Green. And even with that, then before that, who? Tell me who was the Steelers' tight ends before that guy. Uh, Heath Miller's really been the only standout as tight end position, really, overall, you know, as through Steelers, you know, the last since 1970 or whatever. Well, Darius Green didn't do it for you guys? No. <laughs> he had high hopes. I mean, he, he was brought in, basically. He was originally supposed to be the successor to Antonio Gates, and Antonio Gates just kept on sticking around. But then when it came time for – Green to show something alongside the killer bees, he couldn't stay healthy. So it's been bad luck, but at the same time, it's time for a lot of new ideas out here because who knows if Ben decides, eh, this is enough anyway, or if he decides to stick around for another year. There's got to be new ideas and new ideas fast. Yeah, not to take us on a completely separate tangent, but we even saw Ben's first, uh, first, I don't know if I can do this anymore this season yesterday. So, um, I don't know if we're ready for that whole sort of change, but uh, I completely agree with you guys that there's got to be something to to give a spark into this offense. Like Guthrie said, it's it's not going to happen this year. Like if there are changes, it's going to occur when it's too late after the season. But something's definitely got to happen. Yeah, on, on that point, I don't know why Roethlisberger does that. Pretty much every time he has a really bad game, he, like he hints the retirement or says something like passive aggressive remarks, like. Uh, Roethlisberger was asked by Brooke Pryor of ESPN if some of his off-target throws were due to miscommunication with his receivers or the play calls or if there's something else going on. And he, he just, like, quickly said, I'm just not very good, Brooke. And he just had, like, a straight face, and it, it was, like, completely awkward. It was like, oh, man, Ben. It's just like Ben being Ben, but, like, sometimes it, it just gets tiresome sometimes. Yeah, yeah that's classic Ben right there. But it is. I, I, don't, I don't think we're going to have to worry about that. But – uh. But yeah, definitely, definitely some changes, like you guys all said. Well, with Ben, it's either he throws his receivers under the bus and creates another Antonio Brown situation, or he just says he's not good and also hints at retirement. I mean, no matter what, I feel bad for the guy at a certain point. It's like he wants to like firmly say, like, yo, something's going on here. But he he's afraid of being the bad guy. He's already the bad guy enough. And so I feel bad for him because yeah. Yeah. And I, I will give him some credit. He, he has been a little bit better this year in those post-game interviews with uh, some of the stuff where it's like, uh, you know, not my fault, not my fault. It's all the receivers, all that sort of stuff. But he finally broke. It finally, we knew we were going to get him once this year yeah. after a loss. Took until this late in the year, but it finally happened. I think a lot is because they're winning. And, and when they lost to Washington, it felt like everybody in the entire lot was like, okay, we, we finally lost one. But this loss felt a lot different where they like, you know, they just had a chance to like, you know, beat a really good Buffalo team and, you know, still compete with Kansas City for the number one overall spot in the playoffs and get that first round by. And now it just looks like, you know, the Chiefs are just going to run away with it really now. 
I mean, you could definitely have like a Ben Roethlisberger bingo card, all his <laughs> antics during the season, you know, being on the injury report until, until Saturday or, you know, you know, I, you know, I don't have it anymore comments, you know, you know, he needs to turn it around, show some enthusiasm sometimes, you know, um, you know, on, on the sidelines, he's just always there frowning with his head hanging low. It's just like, show some emotion a little bit, you know, like not always negative emotion, you know, fire your, you know, because your teammates will feed on that. We'll find out what's up next on the days of our Steelers to return. But guys, we've spent most of our podcast talking about the offense because really it was an offensive loss. So now it's time to talk about the defense. And really early on, they were instrumental in keeping it close until the dam basically broke off with that pick six an interception by Mike Hilton and a fumble recovery by Cam Sutton. that was thought to be an interception, but ESPN didn't list that. If I'm wrong, sorry. And the pass rush did did pretty good to overall, I guess. I mean, including a missed sack fumble by Sutton that could have really been huge and who knows, maybe allowed more offensive output from the Steelers. We'll never know. But then the team could not stop Stefan Diggs at all. Once Josh Allen got time in the pocket from those passes, he just carved the defense up. And Josh Allen was 24-43, 238 yards, two touchdowns and an interception, only sacked once. And Stefan Diggs, another 100-yard receiver against the Steelers, 10 receptions for 130 yards and a touchdown. Uh, guys, what's your thoughts on the overall impact of the defense that was just eventually crushed by the weight of the offense not being able to do much aside from two drives overall I, I think they did very well um you know in the beginning of the game it was very much like a defensive shootout going on you know three and outs being thrown around like you know like oprah um but it just ended up you know just eventually i think our defense just got worn down um, they just got tired and the Bills eventually saw something and then they kind of, ex, you know, exposed the secondary a little bit. Yeah, I completely agree. I thought the defense played really well, um, especially when you think about the fact that Ben gave them a touchdown. They didn't even score 20, 20 points, uh, the Bills offense independently. So I thought the defense is really good, uh, especially Mike Hilton. He's awesome. I really hope that he's back on the team next year. Um, you just always love to see him flying around the field, making physical plays. Um, I thought that he was really good. And, and uh, they were fine with Diggs in the first half. To me, a lot of the issues came um, in the second half uh, when Butler just kept insisting on blitzing on every single play, uh, at, especially with out of the nickel, uh, with the middle linebackers. I just feel like they were leaving the corners on islands uh, for the entire second half and can't do that with Stefan Diggs. Did you notice at one point during the game before I get to you, Chris, did – did you notice at one point that the Steelers early on was having safety help with Terrell Edmonds on who was Diggs' primary primary cover, Steven Nelson? Yeah. Yeah, there was there was early double coverage for Diggs, and then somewhere along the way it switched to that blitz run, and then the Bills just paid, just made them say, you're going to pay. It kind of felt like, yeah, like, uh, like Butler was kind of just banking on the old Josh Allen to just – kick in at halftime where you're going to blitz him and he's going to panic in the pocket and turn the ball over, make a bad throw or that sort of thing. And that just kind of didn't happen. Um, I was really impressed, obviously, with Josh Allen. I think it speaks really more to him and Diggs and their rapport. Um, obviously, 
the offensive coordinator for the Bills, Brian Dable, got a lot of pub all day today and during the game last night. He did a great job scheming it up. I think it really speaks more to them. I thought the defense played fine, and, and like you said, to open this segment up, it was really an offensive loss, so not too many complaints by the defense for me. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys said. I, I thought the defense played great in the, the first half. You know, they only gave up a field goal. Uh, Hayward, you know, got tremendous pressure in the first half. Then the second half, they showed uh, yesterday during the broadcast that the Bills started, like, double-teaming the offensive line. It, it just really came down to those two possessions out of the uh, second half uh, where, where they both got touchdowns, and Allen and Diggs really just took over. And uh, Nelson kind of struggled a little bit. You know, I, he slipped on that that one touchdown. But uh, I think it was just more schematics, really. Like you mentioned, uh, Max, that Butler, uh, you know, the Bills just did a better job of executing. And uh, Allen started getting rhythm and uh, started connecting with Diggs there. And he Diggs really just took over the game there in the second half. Yeah, and of course, the run defense did okay. I mean, they gave up 104 yards, but – no single 100-yard rusher, and really the Bills' rushing attack is probably something that the Steelers should really pay attention to implementing for their offense. You know, they're not asking guys to go out there and hit home runs like we're used to, but they're getting steady, consistent runs, and that's really what kind of caused the Steelers' defense to open up a little bit against Diggs sometimes. And, of course, Josh Allen... He can run a little bit, so he was creating a little havoc in the rushing defense as well. It felt that whatever they needed to run, they were able to pick up third downs on third and pick up first downs on third and short. And that's really the difference between having a time of possession of 25 minutes versus 35 for the Bills. Yeah, exactly. That's this is kind of why we're losing games and not scoring, you know, when we're on the one yard line, not to bring up, you know, old dirt, but it's just kind of like, you know, you got to be able to get those hard yards. You know, you got to be able to get that first down on a third and short or, you know, intermediate second down. Um, got to be able to get those, you know, those hard-earned yards. And so far we haven't been doing it. And I don't want to, like, throw, you know, like a player like Connor under the bus. But it's just kind of like, we. what did you expect? He was just on the COVID list all week. You know, he wasn't going to come back and be the hero. But other than him, you know, what, what do we have? But, you know, the Bills, props to the Bills. They did an excellent job. You know, like you said, they, they took advantage of those situations. And, um, and that's why it won them the game. They had they won the time of possession. Yeah, I think the Bills, like, like you mentioned, Ty, they just ran good enough. You know, that, that's what the Steelers need to do, but they can't even do that. Like, just, you know, something respectable. And that really hasn't been their calling card this year. The, the Bills is their run game. Unlike last year, they've been mostly a passing team. But, uh, you know, they were able to do it when, when they needed to. Yeah, I agree with you guys. The Bills did pretty much just enough. Um, and I think a lot of it of their success with situational running also has to do with the injuries that the Steelers had on defense too, especially a linebacker. Um, when you're down Vince Williams, who we know is great at coming downhill and making those hard tackles, and Spillane, who's been playing really well, um, it's hard, especially because you're playing Marcus Allen. I, I don't know if you, you want to call it a nickel or a dime. I don't if we want to consider him a linebacker now, but we have so many defensive backs on the field and Marcus Allen is pretty much taking the place of a Vince Williams, it's going to be harder to stop the run. It's just kind of how it is. So with that in mind, the Steelers' defense was pretty good. Um, it's just, like I keep saying, it is what it is, and, and the offense has got to play better on the other end, like Guthrie said. Yeah, Marcus plays that traditional money-backer role, uh, the role that was kind of revolutionized by one former Steeler in Mark Barron and, of course, Deion Buchanan out in Arizona in his heyday with those Cardinals out there. So, yeah, it, yeah. when you when you look at it, the middle linebackers were the most 
tackle-heavy group of the Steelers. Avery Williamson had 11 tackles, and he's not really a guy that's going to get sacks. He did have a quarterback hit, though, but he's a tackle machine, so I guess in a way it's like, you know, nice, secure tackling. It's like you need to have some pluses from the defense, especially with the COVID situation there. The Steelers broke the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' record of consecutive games with a sack. It was the Steelers' 70th straight game with a sack. They had The sack was recorded by Tyson Alulu. They recorded six quarterback hits, but did they feel a little bit more held in check than any other time this season? Yeah, sacks-wise, definitely. I was almost nervous as the game was going on. I'm like, their offensive line is, you know, part in our defensive guys, like, you know, the Red Sea. It's just, there was just so many, like, so much time. I was kind of worried. I mean, we saw the penetration happening, but, you know, Josh Allen's very mobile. Um, you know, he was getting around the pocket quite well. It's credit to him. Um, but, you know, I'm happy we broke it. Uh, but, hey, uh, like, I, definitely not as many sacks slash QB hits that we've seen in previous games. Yeah, I, th- I thought the Bills' offense line did a good job in the second half. Like, they were getting pressure uh, early, the Steelers, but – uh. You know, like you mentioned, uh, Allen's really mobile and he, he's able to run away. And then the second half, uh, Allen was really getting the ball out quick. He was reading the defense really well. So I think that had to do with them just getting one sack. You know, Watt, he had probably one of his most quietest games. It might, might have been the most quietest game this year. Our, our friend from Buffalo Cover One, <clears throat> Greg Thompson, uh, kind of hinted out there on Twitter that the the Bills' right tackle was kind of getting a little early on those snaps, and also, I know, uh, so so yeah, it's just hard luck for TJ Watt, especially. What's up, Max? Yeah, I called for one on a false start, but yeah, I think he's right. Yeah, maybe a little early. Yeah, he he gets held a lot too. That, that kind of happens every game. I and mean, he he did well. Just like a lot of the guys didn't really stand out on the stat. Like even Hayward didn't stand out on the. That sheet and, and to it wasn't even on it. We, we talked about that uh, before. Yeah, yeah. To it was I, an I, absolute zero, which <laughs> is his first time since since his rookie year. And guys, when I tell you what an absolute zero is, that means he registered absolutely nothing. And here he did play yesterday, but if I want you to go on ESPN.com and notice this, Stefan To it is not on the defensive stat sheet on ESPN held in check in a way that I've never seen before in my life. Usually ESPN will put anyone on the stat sheet. If you play, typically you're on there. Stefan to is not on there. He's not. And it's very, it's very strange. Like kind of after the game, you know, me, you know, Chris was messaging this morning, like, you know, we're, you know, he's on the stat sheet. I'm like, did he even play? You know, you just kind of go back. It was a late game. You know, we were all frustrated, you know, make, you know, one of the games kind of like that, you get tired. Um, you know, I was just like, Kind of just like you start looking around, and you're like, oh, well, he definitely played, but it's just strange that he wasn't on the statue at all. Yeah, I thought ESPN might have had a mistake or something because I didn't want to tweet something out, and, like, it came to be that, like, two had, like, five tackles or something like that. So, yeah, yeah definitely surprised because he's had a great year, but uh, I don't know what happened against Buffalo. Yeah, I definitely agree with you guys. Yesterday was two its worst game of the season, and I also think that we really felt uh, the loss of Bud Dupree yesterday. Highsmith wasn't bad necessarily. There's one really good rep he had that uh, that comes to mind where uh, he put pressure on Allen, and then I think T.J. Watt wound up tipping the ball up in the air. 
Um, so that was a good rep, but for the most part, like you're just not going to get the same consistency that you're with Bud, where when you have two top 10 pass rushers, it's way different than having one top 10 pass rusher. So it just kind of is what it is. And you kind of hit on a point that I was going to talk about so we can move on. What do you think is possible that they can improve on in the future? As a whole or on the defense? As a whole. You can As go offense and defense. Yeah. One each. As a whole, this this running the ball um, and being creative about it, you know. Um, it's kind of like last game. Once again, I'm bringing up last game. Um, but, you know, just – you know, early in the season, we had Claypool getting those rushing touchdowns. You know, he, he he could fight for those extra yards. Just be a little creative with it, but, you know, just try to get that run game going. Go yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with Booger McFarlane. I'm going to say that the number one thing that will make the Steelers better in coming weeks is just playing more physical. Like, we just need that out of the offensive line. Um, if the offensive line doesn't play better, if the Steelers don't run the ball better, then it's going to be an ugly – last few weeks here potentially and that's something that just needs to be addressed it just needs to be uh, more physical and better in the trenches yeah i agree with booger mcfarland also it might be the first time ever that, that i'm agreeing with booger but uh uh other than the running game uh probably just getting that uh deep passing game going if ben can get it going uh because this you know dink and dunk offense is, is not working obviously and, and defenses have figured it out it's like it's hard to watch anymore to watch all the short passes and they just get tackled like you know before the first down marker yeah, the Steelers got to figure out something running wise. They got to run the Maryland Eye, the Wishbone, the Full House, the uh, Split Pro. I don't know. They need to find something to get this running game together. And it starts this week with Cincinnati, which seems like a favorable matchup, maybe the the last favorable matchup for the year. And I'm curious, what do you guys believe will be the record? For the Steelers in these last three games, and I'm going to start off by saying they go two and one. I believe they lose to Indianapolis, but they manage to hang on and beat both AFC North opponents, creating this unlikely sweep of the division. Uh, well, unlikely based on their play the last two weeks. Yeah, um, I would agree with that take completely. Um, I could see us dropping the Indianapolis game, or you know, unfortunately, maybe I flip flop and say I'm kind of worried that we lose the Browns game. Um, but I, I agree with that final record assessment, um, you know, 13 and three, or, you know, if, I mean, if we're lucky, you know, if we went out, that'd be great to be 14 and two, but it's hard for me to see that as of now, based on play. I'm with you guys. I think two and one is probably, uh, what we're looking at for the last three games. Um, this has obviously been a really like somber podcast. We're just getting on here, uh, you know, trashing our team pretty much. But uh, it's it's still important to like sit back and remember this is a good football team. Uh, still have eleven wins on the year, still eleven and two. Like this is still a good team. They'll be all right. They'll right the ship. It's just a couple little things to correct here and there. But I'd go two and one the last three weeks. I'll be shocked if they go fourteen and two. Uh, I think they go two and one. Also, I'll say they lose to Cleveland in week seventeen. I wouldn't be surprised if we lost to the Colts in week sixteen. But I have a feeling like the defense will win that game for them. So overall, thirteen three uh, for the regular season, and who knows what happens in the playoffs? So I'm really not too sure right now. Yeah, I uh, definitely don't want to get into that now because I could tell you right now if you ask me now, I'd just like I'd be trashing them. But I'm <laughs> they could definitely, you know, like you guys said, if they they write the ship a little bit. It starts it starts with Cincinnati though. You, you got yeah, to win that. Gotta, that's a good game to try to get some things figured out, and you know you don't want to take that that matchup for granted. You know, you know Cincinnati's just a hungry team, but. Um, unfortunately, they lost Joe Burrow, 
but you know, you, you can't overlook them. You, know, you can't overlook anybody in the NFL, but um, using that game as an opportunity to right the ship a little bit. Do you guys believe that the Browns would steal the AFC North out of the Steelers nose? Chris, you, you actually marked the Browns game as a loss. So I'm curious to get your take on that. It re- really comes down to what's going on right now with the, uh, uh, the Browns, the uh, Ravens. Game. What's, what's the score? It's tied 7-7 seven, still? Currently, 14-7. it's 14-7. Oh, 14-7. As okay. we record this podcast. What yeah, that um, final score will be, you'll have to find out yeah. whatever you listen to Sports Center and laugh at us if we manage to get it wrong. Just put it <laughs> this way. If the, Ravens, I mean, excuse me, uh, if the Browns win tonight, they have a good chance to win the AFC North. You're tied. Just cut that out if they lose. If they... <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. But, you know, it's – you could. It would be pretty funny. But yeah. – I don't know. I could totally see the the Browns stealing it. Um, you know, I I don't want to trash them. You know, Baker Mayfield definitely looked sharper. Um, you know, these last two weeks than he has all year, and they're they're getting hot just when they need to get hot. That's all I'll say. We've had a couple of laughs at our expense on this podcast. We've made fun of Eric Ebron and 1942 liquor, whatever that is. If it's whiskey, if it's not Eric, you probably follow us. Tell us exactly what it is at Renegade Blitz. But it's time to get us a little happy because Max is right. We have been a little somber on this podcast, so I wanted to play a game. It's time to play the trivia game. So with the Steelers breaking that sack record by the 99 through 2003 Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is arguably one of the great defenses in NFL history, coincidentally Mike Tomlin was on that staff in Tampa Bay as a defensive backs coach. To start that record, the Steelers recorded three sacks against the Ravens in that Week 8 game in November 2016 that began the aforementioned streak. So the first question is, who recorded the first sack in the record, and who else recorded sacks in that game? This is definitely hard for me. I'm going to start off with a, with somebody, and this could be completely off base, but it's, some, it's the guy I can think of that was definitely around then. Um, I'm going to guess the first guy isn't on the team anymore, and it's Jarvis Jones. He started this somehow. Just somehow. Maybe he did. Um, as for the other guys who recorded that, I'm going to go with, you know, just I'm going to go with the safe bet, like, you know, Cam Hayward or Ryan Chazier or something like that. Other, other than that, I'm not sure. In terms of sacks recorded on a day, you have one. Wow. I'll take that. Chris, what is your answers? Uh, I'll go with Harrison. I, I know since you said it was one, I know Jarvis Jones was one of the players on the, you know, the list, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go with Harrison. And who else recorded sacks on a day? To give you a little bit of a hint, two players recorded half a sack. Uh, I'll go with Shazier and um, uh, and to it. Max? Uh, I'm pretty close to what Chris had to guess. My, my guess uh, is also James Harrison. I just feel like that's someone that was around at that time. I was going to go Cam, but I'll go James Harrison for the first sack. And then... Uh, I'll take I'll take Shake and Bake. I'll take Shazier and Vince Williams on the half sacks. So the answer to who recorded the first sack is James Harrison. Who recorded sacks on a day? James Harrison had two. And Ryan Shazier and Anthony Ciccolo had oh. half a sack each. Wow. I would never have thought uh, Ciccolo. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I, I forgot. He's in Denver now. That's a throwback right there. Um, that's definitely a player I had high hopes for. Um, you know, just kind of like getting a late round pick. He kind of stuck around for a while. It's cool to see. Um, I, I'm just can't, I'm surprised I didn't think of James Harrison. You know, it's just cool to have him. You know, be that far we started that that streak in this day. 
then a player like Alualu kind of, you know, breaks that streak. You know, it just shows kind of that Steelers football right there. Yeah, I, I originally was going to try to ask you guys to name at least five or ten players off of that list, but then the list was too long, and I didn't feel like researching all of that. So I just decided, yeah, we'll just start with the first game. So good job, guys. At least we know this. Ryan Shazier was one of the big stalwarts on the defense for the Steelers at that time. We certainly do miss them. And to really just make sure that you guys feel absolutely horrible about your picks, Cleveland at this moment has just tied the game 14 to 14. So, Chris, get ready to sweat. Max, thanks for coming on the show. Did you enjoy your time here today? Of course, guys. Always good to talk Steelers football. We hope to have you on in the future. And that's all for us here on the Renegade Blitz. For Chris Ward, Guthrie Rasmussen, and Max Rosenfeld, I'm Ty Polk. Thank you for tuning in to the Renegade Blitz. Thank you for listening to the Renegade Blitz podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Renegade Blitz. Read articles on RenegadeBlitz.com and like us on Facebook. Our podcast is available on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, YouTube, iHeart, and Spotify. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.